Hey guys, it's Lindsay with NBC Media. Thanks for listening to our podcast and be sure to look at our website for events that you can get involved in. See you next Sunday. If you would, turn your Bibles to Philippians 1. Philippians 1. As I said last Sunday, I'm doing a series of sermons on the book of Philippians. And uh, we'll be looking at uh, verses 9 through 19 today, 9 through 19. For those who really enjoy reading, you're probably pretty aware that there is a book on every topic that you can imagine. If you don't believe me, I am a Prime member, and I also uh, buy a lot of electronic books off of Amazon, and sometimes I just kind of scroll around, and there are literally hundreds of thousands of book titles that you can buy. And so I started kind of strolling through some of those things. Self-help books. And one of the things that I found was uh, in these self-help situations, advice on how to change your life or how to achieve a specific goal. In fact, I found out, and I I was looking on other places too, but if you want to be wealthy... The book, Think and Grow Rich, by Napoleon Hill. You ever heard of Napoleon Hill? He wrote other books. Okay. Has been read, or bought, I should say, but has been read by over a 100 million people. That's a lot of books. You know, in my estimation, if you want to be rich, write a book and sell it. If 100 people buy it, there's $1,000 more than you had, right? Napoleon Hill. Now, the interesting thing is Napoleon Hill was a kind of a disciple by Del Carnegie. Well, you all heard Del Carnegie. I went to Del Carnegie class. Um, Del Carnegie wrote the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He sold more than 15 million copies of that book. Now... I don't know, but it seemed like his protege did better than he did, right? But I, you've heard of these folks, and you can go on. There are all kinds of different self-help books. All of us want to be wealthier than we are now. All of us want to be more friendly or have more friends. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you don't want more friends But there's always opportunity and people with a lot of advice on how to get those things. But today we're still looking at happiness in Philippians. And I think if you want to learn to be truly happy, then read the book of Philippians. That's what the first couple of chapters are about. Matter of fact, and I don't, I, you know, I'm not going to condone this, but if you want to, you could probably get done with the whole book of Philippians before I finish this sermon. 
if you read of any speed at all. Now, I would rather you listen to the sermon, but it, you know, if you don't want to, that's fine. Four chapters. You can finish it up right now. So if I want to be truly happy, I want to learn from someone that didn't get everything just handed to them. I want to learn from someone who's had some struggles. You know, back to Napoleon um, Hill, Napoleon Hill, he started out with absolutely nothing. And then through his studies, he learned to put together finances and budgets and how to handle your, budget, your money wisely and became a multimillionaire. And he died many years ago a very rich man. So he knows what he's talking about. Dale Carnegie was not the greatest person who ever lived when he started out. He was not the greatest salesperson. That's what I went to classes there for sales. And John Locke, I went to those uh, uh, sales courses. Those guys both started off with very little, very poor families, but learned how to make how to influence others and through sales and made themselves very rich. So again, if I want to take advice on how to be truly happy, I want to know from somebody who has learned it. And the Apostle Paul, he learned it. He learned it the hard way, though. Again, I want to just kind of highlight his resume. I did this last Sunday, but I think it's good to go over it again. He was beaten with rods three different times, He was at least. He was shipwrecked at least three different times. He was often without food. Beaten and received 39 lashes five different times. Placed in prison at least four times. Probably would have never found a church in our day that would have hired him. Yet Paul said these things, I rejoice in the Lord Always, I can do all things through Christ that strengthened me. And back in Acts 16, Paul was imprisoned and the jailer went to his cell to see what the noise was all about and he and Silas were singing songs of praise to help the other prisoners. Now for, the, for those who weren't here last week, we talked a little bit about that. Paul could try and find joy in all situations. I have spoken, we described a little bit about the jail scene back then. I don't know of anybody that could be happy being in jail then. But he found a way to do it. Singing songs of praise, praising God, praying to God, and spreading the gospel. That's how he found joy and happiness. For Paul, happiness was never based on his circumstance. He later tells us in, tells us in Philippians 4.11, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in, I don't know, situation I am, to be content. There's another word for content, and it could be happiness. Can you honestly say whatever situation I am in, I can find contentment? I can find happiness? I can tell you right now, there are many times I get in situations where I am not content. And I am not happy. 
For most of us, it's kind of like if we can just overcome this or we can just deal with that one family member, you know who I mean. Everybody has one of those type of folks or one of those type of bosses. If I can just get over that, I'll be fine. Paul has the ability to know happiness regardless of his circumstances. And here's why, at least I think. Paul had to focus, and he knew how to focus on things that really matter in life. So let's look at our focal passages, Philippians 1, verses 9 through 19. And I'll be reading this out of the English Standard Version. And it says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Lord Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of my brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. For the former proclamation of Christ out of the former I'm sorry, the former proclaimed Christ out of self-ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that even your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for this opportunity to speak this word that you've laid upon my heart. Lord, I just pray that through this encouragement from Paul that we can find ways to be to be happy, to be content in all situations. Bless the reading of your word, I pray in your precious name. Amen. So we're continuing. This is the second sermon that I've been talking about on pursuing happiness. And we're all traveling down this road, this path called life. And as we travel down this path is always our desire that this path going to take us to our destination, which is to be happy. But on that journey, it's not unusual to hit some bumps, some potholes, or to get sidetracked. And when those problems step in, and again, they may be in the form of a bump, or a pothole, or a flat tire, or even a complete breakdown. It is that point that we must make some important decisions. And we have to ask questions like, is it worth 
for me to continue on this path. Have you ever asked yourself before, you're doing something you think is right, you hit a speed bump. Something that just gets in the way. And then you ask, Lord, am I on the right path? Even though the Lord is the one that laid it on your heart in the first place to go there, but things get a little difficult and you say, Lord, is this, I didn't think you were going to do this. I didn't think you were going to allow that. Is this truly the path you want me on? I've said it. And I bet most of you have too. I know that God is going to lead me to my destination, but now look at what's happened. Maybe it's best for me just to turn around, to go in a different direction, a different path. I think what happens to us so many times is that even though we're on the correct path, when roadblocks get in the way, too often we come to a couple of different conclusions. One is life is not supposed to be this difficult, so I must be on the wrong path, so let's get off the path and we turn in another direction. Or another one is overcoming the roadblock just doesn't seem to be worth it. It takes too much time and energy. So we don't run, but we just decide to drop out for a little while and kind of sit on the side of the road and try to forget about it. Or we just sit there and wait until someone comes along and says, hey, you need to move. That last one is what happens a lot of times. Remember that old saying when the going gets tough? The tough go shopping. That's kind of what we're talking about here. Because Christians are really good at that. We're real good as long as things are nice and easy. But when the going gets tough, we just kind of drop out for a while. Paul has some things to tell us about that. And there's a few different things, or points of this sermon that I want to look at. The first one being focus. Paul has some good advice for us when we're stuck in this area. And, and if you look, if you still have your Bibles open to our focal passages, look at verse 10. Just, just put your verse on, uh, finger on verse 10. I really want to read it again. I'm not going to read all of them again, but I want to read this one again. And I want to read it from the Message Bible. And it says, so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus would be proud of. I think he's telling us to focus on what really matters in life. Narrow down the number of things that you're trying to do and begin to prioritize what really matters. Now, I'm going to tell you something. My wife's not in here, so, you know, because she'd be throwing out some big amens right now. I am way too busy. I have way too many things on my plate, and I try to do all of them, and it ends up not doing very well a bunch of them. Sometimes we've got to learn to say no, and I'm not really good at that. 
Most of us are pulled in so many different directions by too many people, and let's face it, not all these people have our better interest in mind. Other people cannot determine for you what's best in your life. Did you get that? Other people cannot determine for you what's best in your life. Now, I'm not saying, you know, your Christian friends, they mean well. Your parents, of course, they mean well. But the fact of the matter is, it's your life. Let God be the one that controls how you live it. Not somebody else. Kids. Kids. That's not for you. You do what your parents say. Okay? Hopefully they're leading you in the godly path. But adults, quit listening to so many people who don't have your better interest in mind. Listen to what God has to tell you. If you're like most people, you allow your agenda or your calendar to become too large. Too many items on your to-do list. Too many things to attend. As odd as it may sound, you might need to develop a don't-do list. That's my issue. And this is why. What you choose not to do is often more important than what you choose to do. I believe what's important is learning to focus on what really matters. In Philippians 3.13, Paul reminds us again by saying, This one thing I do. What is the one thing you desire to do more than anything? Once you find it, eliminate the other things and get to work doing that one thing. I was at my doctor's office not too long ago, and she told me, you know, my, I'm diabetic and I'm not very good at it. And she was getting after me because my sugar levels were way too high. My A1C is way too high. And I was a mess. And she said, Dennis, are you doing what you really want to do? And I said, yeah. I really enjoy preaching and study. But she said, every time you come in here, you got this Lingas outfit on. Well, I said, well, I've got, I got to pay you, so I need that for insurance. She goes, you like it? And I said, no. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I don't really like it. She goes, focus on what makes you happy. And I said, what makes me happy doesn't make any money. Like kayaking and camping and all that stuff. You got to have money to do those type of things. Focus on what makes you happy. Paul knew what he's talking about. In our case, we need to focus on what God wants us to do, and God wants us to be happy. He won't lead us astray. Number two, that trials are necessary. That's another thing. We don't like that, that statement, but it is absolutely true. Realize that trials are actually necessary for growth. What most of us want is a problem-free life. And we think that that will create happiness for us. Folks, I, I really hate to ruin your dream here, but trials are necessary 
to finding happiness. Trials produce growth. James said, the testing of our faith produces patience. I don't like that word patience because I don't have a lot of it. I wish Paul, I wish James would have said that trials produce maturity. That would be a good way to say it. Not patience. Makes us complete as people. As strange as it might seem, that when we have everything in life our way, we become spoiled. And many times we become lazy because there's no trials in our lives to test our resolve. So trials are necessary and they help us to move forward. I found this little illustration here. Thomas Edison attempted 10,000 different times before he created a light bulb. He said, I didn't fail 10,000 times. I just learned 10,000 things that don't work. I like that. I didn't fail. I just found things that didn't work. Recognize that trials and mistakes are necessary. They are a part of path to real happiness. The third point of this is that happiness comes in odd forms. Realizing that confidence in life often comes from strange places. And so does happiness. Paul mentions three different things here that he found happiness in all three of them, and they all three are unexpected. If you look at verses 13 and 14, he's in prison, right? Paul's imprisonment actually made his friends more confident in, his, in their faith. He said it caused them to speak out the message of Christ and to do so without being afraid. Excuse me. I bet you all heard that one real good. He said that it caused them... He caused... I've already said that. Your example of how to handle hardship can build confidence in the lives of other people and can actually help further the gospel message. See, friends... When you see someone who has had difficulties in spreading the gospel, many times that encourages us because, well, we're not really facing any difficulties. I've, I've told you many times, several times, when I was at, living, uh, when I was uh, working at Trinity, I had met and were carrying on emails with a lot of people all over the world. And I will never forget a guy, his name was George Voorhees, and he was in India. And he was living the gospel of being a pastor, but kind of an underground pastor, because in that part of India, he could be killed, or his family could be killed, for spreading the gospel. 
And he faced a lot of different types of persecution because of his faith. And he would write me and he'd always say, God is so good. And I'd say, here I am. I, you know, I've, I've been in churches where we get upset the air conditioner's not working right. Or the heater's not working right. Or whatever. And then I read these emails from him. And he's saying, God is so good. Because he allowed me to preach the gospel and I didn't get my life taken away. But he had family members that did. You know, that encourages me to know that there are people out there facing death for spreading the gospel and they have an attitude like that. That encourages me. What really do we have to fear in our country? Oh, it may get to it. But right now, what do we have to fear for spreading the gospel? Somebody may slam a door in our face. But we don't have to worry about our lives being taken for it. Another thing he mentioned was rivalry or competition. Again, look at verses 17 and 18. People sought it out to hurt Paul. And how does he respond? He's happy. He rejoices because what is happening here is all for the greater good. His main focus is to spread the gospel and without knowing it, his enemies are actually, his enemies are actually helping him to accomplish that. Your enemies, your competition, or whatever, they will not know how to handle this kind of attitude. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 25, if your enemy is hurting, if your enemy needs something, then do something good for him or them. And by doing so, you will heap burning coals on their heads. When you do something kind for someone who does not deserve it, it tends to humiliate them. So basically shower them with kindness, with goodness. Now I know what you're thinking. Dennis, the last thing I want to show to my enemy is kindness. Actually, I'd rather ram them with my car. I said that because this, on the news thing this morning, I got some guy got mad at somebody, and he hit their car four different times, rammed their car four different times. Then he gets out of his car while the police are coming and starts jumping up and down on their car. See, that's sometimes how we handle And that's just road rage, probably because they cut him off. Now, you all know how I deal with road rage. <laughs> I'm in a big truck. Don't get in my way. But still, that's not the type of attitude we should have. When that car is trying to cut you off because they need to get in the other lane and they're in the wrong lane, instead of closing them off, give them room. Heap kindness upon them. It goes a long way, not only against them, but for you. When that person cuts in line in front of you, you know y'all heading towards the checkout line and, 
you know, and that line's a gazillion miles long, it seems like, and you got these screaming kids in there and everything else, and somebody just kind of cuts you off and gets in front of you. You know, maybe you could just say, God loves you with a big smile on your face. Leave it there. And then when he talks a little bit about in verse 18 about wrong motives for others. This is an interesting verse. God has an amazing way of taking things that others do to work against us and turning it around to do something good. So I was thinking about this, I immediately followed to Romans 8, 28. Out of the ESV it says, and we know for that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, all things. Paul reminds us that these wrong motives, your rivals, your enemies, and even these chains that often often present, can all lead to sincere happiness. So Paul was basically inviting us to join him in a movement towards happiness. To start something very special. You know, folks, I I really believe that even in a small group like this, if we would learn how to conquer some of these things that really bug us, and turn it around for happiness. That maybe even in this small group we could start a movement around this. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something if we could go to the grocery store or to the wherever we do businesses and different things and instead of getting angry when somebody cuts us off, we just say, God bless you. And just smile. God loves you. I know, maybe on the inside you're saying, I don't, but God loves you. With a big smile on your face. Think about it. How much better this world would be. And then lastly, wrong motives. Achieve desired point three. Is that what I had on there? Oh, got the wrong one. Wrong motives achieve uh, desired results. Oh, no, I'm sorry. We already did that one, didn't we? This is an illustration. On my page, it looks like three. It looks like the letter three, but it's illustration. Sorry about that, Lindsay. I heard of a fellow who was traveling, I got this off the Internet, who was traveling in his car to visit with some friends who lived several hundred miles away. He got hungry and decided that he wanted to stop, so he noticed that there was a nice restaurant near along the route he was traveling, one that he had always enjoyed. He got out of the car dressed in khakis and a polo shirt, and he went into the restaurant, and he was met by the maitre d' who told him that the restaurant policy required all men to wear a tie. You ever been to one of them kind of restaurants, guys? I have. So he returned to his car, 
thinking he would just find somewhere else to eat. But the more he thought about it, he really wanted to go to this one, and he really didn't have time to find another one like it. So he opened the trunk and began to dig through his suitcase. Maybe he had packed a tie. He looked and looked, but there was no tie. He stood there frustrated, and he looked down in his trunk, and he saw his battery jumper cables. He was mad at the restaurant and the maitre d', so he grabbed those jumper cables and tied them around his neck in the form of a tie. He went back to the door and was met by the maitre d'. The maitre d' looked them over very closely and told them, all right, you can come in, but don't start anything. <laughs> Boy, that was a long way to get to that silly I want to close with just this simple set of questions and a statement. Are we focusing on the main thing? Do we gripe too much about the difficulties that befall us? Look for happiness in the odd places. Be content with what God hands to you. That's how to find true happiness. Let's pray as we close and prepare for our invitation time. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I thank you again for this opportunity to preach this message. Lord, I just pray that we learn to find happiness and contentment in the situations that we are faced with by focusing on Guide us in this time of invitation, I pray. Amen. Stand.